1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y wherever you are in the world. Again, time zones is that number one challenge we have. Uh, Today is a super cool one because number one, I've got one of my my just absolute mentors, uh, Lily, um, in, in the Web three world, and and we've got Ben Cohen who's here with this new project. And most of you have probably seen Ben. Uh, he's a, a famous famous uh, algorithmic um, analyst for for everything crypto. So made many, many calls, right? Um, and, and also been, been off on a few too. But I mean, that's part of, part of what we do is making sure that we understand what's happening behind the scenes. And sometimes you really have to dissect what happened after something was done to understand what, why or where it could happen again. That being said, um, Ben, before we get into your project today, what, um, you know, what really got you started in, in analysis of cryptocurrencies and kind of your overall thought of why this crazy asset class uh, is where you like to call home?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me uh, on the show. Glad to be here. Um, I, I'd say it really all started, I, I my undergrad was in mathematics, took some cryptography, I took a cryptography class back in uh, 2011. I briefly learned about Bitcoin, did not invest at the time, unfortunately. Um, but I, I got interested in it way back then. And then when I was in graduate school, I did my uh, PhD in nuclear engineering I had there were some fellow grad students who were into into Bitcoin back then. And uh, I remember us talking about it quite a bit. And you know, it sort of just kept growing from there. It was, you know, initially heard about it, and then more and more people were talking about it. I saw everything that happened, you know, in, in 2016, 2017, and obviously we've been following it really closely on my YouTube channel in, in 2019, 2020, and 21, and now 22. Um, but I, I think just in general, finding something that was decentralized, you know, this this decentralized blockchain where there is a fixed supply and, you know, you can't just mint more of it. And especially in the inflationary environment that we've been living in for so long, it just seems like there has to be something better than than the current, you know, the, the current fiat system that, that exists and that we are, we're so used to. And so... You know the idea of of coupling all these things together into you know into Bitcoin, um, it was it was very attractive for me. And so you know once I once I really understood you know why Bitcoin was created and it was born out of the financial crisis back in back in and and understanding you know what 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 its goals were, it was more like you know just figuring out how to build something in the asset class and then also try to educate people on. On how, when an asset class is being capitalized, it can go through various boom and bust cycles. Um, doesn't mean the doesn't mean the asset's dead. It just means it's currently being capitalized, and and we're sort of slowly figuring out what the fair value of the asset class is.
1: So when you talk about education, I want to just stop on there for a second. <clears throat> you, you could go do in darkness what you're doing today, holding all your 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 thoughts and feelings and, and probably keep a lot of, save yourself a lot of stress uh, around those things. What what got you to the point where you're saying, like, you're looking at this, things are starting to click for you. It, you, you need to take this message and, and really speak to people.
2: Yeah, well, I think a lot of it goes back to... Um, getting wrecked many times in the asset (laughs) class myself um watching it go down 90 percent in 2013 and and kind of thinking it would never recover again honestly back then and and even in 2014 and 2015 when we were sort of going sideways it we would we would go up a little bit and we would all get super optimistic and then it would just come right back down uh and then and then you know we had we had what happened in 2016, 2017. And I, I navigated that a bit better because I, I realized it won't go up forever before having to go through some type of like long consolidation phase, whether that means it crashed or not. You know, I didn't really know, but I, I knew that it, you know, these things can't just go up forever. And really, I, I think what people failed to factor in back back then, and even in the 2021 bull market, or the one that ended in, say, the beginning of 2021. Was that diminishing returns is, is a thing that, that has to be factored in when navigating the asset class. And so I think one of the reasons why I really wanted to start something, I mean, obviously, other than just, just the sake of starting a business was wanting to show people that like there is some method to the madness. You know, like I saw a lot of people would join at, at mania phases and then they would get discouraged. They would sell everything and then not come back again until another mania phase. And, and so by showing, macro charts and long-term data, the idea is to say, look, as long as you stick with it, that's really the, the big secret, right? It's just time is, is the big secret in the asset class. Um, and so the goal has just been trying to help people uh, you know, see the same things that I'm seeing and, and and trying to show them, look, what you're experiencing today, I used to experience myself um, but it didn't ultimately stop us from eventually going back up and, and really just trying to help people realize that again, there is a, a method to the madness.
1: No, I, I, I will tell you this. I very much appreciate appreciate your voice. Um, we have new members all the time that are, are getting into the asset class. Uh, and quite often, you know, I see your podcast you know referenced because you do have a very much um, adult mindset around around what this is. Will there be moons? Absolutely. Is it going to be everyone? probably not are you going to get wrecked 100% and and i think that that's you know again a really a, a mature way to look at this and for anyone that's that's coming into cryptocurrencies and wants to get into trading to hear that you're absolutely going to get destroyed or or lose you know 100% on on some of your investments is a terrifying thought and my response is usually like did the 70 80% swings not you know ca- did you not catch on to the fact that that happens all the time
2: Right, and and every time it, it, the idea is it can't ever happen again, and that it, it always <laughs> does happen again. You know, um, it's just a matter of time before it it, it does happen again. So yeah, it, it's a tough it's a tough asset class to navigate. Um, but I mean, as long as you can kind of see past those eighty percent corrections, as long as you realize that there tends to be like a a twenty x or a fifty x in between those eighty percent corrections. Um, you know, i I think you can have a better perspective on the market
1: absolutely absolutely um so so let's pivot into into the cryptoverse um I, I want to hear the elevator pitch behind that and then I know I've got a lot of questions in and around what you're doing and and kind of you know where the market is today as well so um, but but let's let's start with uh, your your main project which I'm shocked to see there's nfts involved
2: so the into the cryptoverse is a it's it's a website where you can basically uh, sign up and, and you'll get access to like a lot of different charts, like quantitative charts. You know, one of the things that I, I often get discouraged by in, in, you know, the asset class is that a lot of the uh, TA, right. Or technical analysis can just be summed up as like drawing lines on a chart and, and saying it, it means a lot. And and sometimes they can mean something. I'm not going to say I've never done it, but really the, the goal is to, is to really mine the data and look for patterns in the data and look for for not even you know, not just patterns in say altcoins, but altcoins with respect to Bitcoin and with respect to Ethereum. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't consider is that they sort of write off Bitcoin and Ethereum because they're not going to give them the, the higher gains. But the truth is, is they also protect you from the downside in a bear market as well. Uh, at least, relatively speaking, I mean, Bitcoin can still go down, but altcoins can go down—you know, ninety-nine percent or something. Um, so, a lot of what we have on on into the cryptoverse is long-term charts. We're looking at like logarithmic regression, which is a great way to to sort of navigate the asset class. Should I should I go ahead and share my screen and and show you what I'm talking about, or should I do that later?
1: No, absolutely. Let's 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 go right in and see it.
2: Yeah, so so this is like one of the examples. So basically, we have all of these charts. We have like the total crypto market cap. We have risk levels. We have on-chain charts where you can go through, say, look at like the HODL waves, um, the R-HODL waves, which are like average based and you're weighting them based on, on the price. We also have social metric charts, derivative charts. And, and these are some of the ones that I, I think could probably, you know, are a bit more helpful than than some people might realize when when trying to figure out, is retail still sticking around, right? or are they not? Um, but but one of the one of my favorite charts is to just look at this one. and and this is sort of one of the flagship charts of the of the project. and it, it's basically, you know, to sum it up, the red line, is is by definition how I'm defining it. it. It's the fair value of the asset class. So it, it's a logarithmic regression curve. The reason we use logarithmic regression is because it, it, it basically allows you to model something that increases more early on in its life and less later on. And it, it's it, it basically just encapsulates diminishing returns in the in the mathematical equation. So. Uh, what I do is I, you know, I look at this chart and over the macro scale, I try to understand when things are undervalued, when things are overvalued. And for instance, right now, I mean, obviously, you know, Bitcoin is has had a bit of a pullback recently. I, I see it's currently trading at around $40,000 at the time of this video. And this is the entire asset class, not just Bitcoin. And it shows that we're currently still overvalued by approximately nineteen percent. Again, we can be overvalued for a long time before going to the undervaluation territory. In fact, the last time the asset class was undervalued was was back in you know late twenty twenty. Um, but this is one of those charts that tries to help show what is the macro outlook, right? What is the risk involved? Is it what are the risk-adjusted returns looking like? Like in terms of in, in in including say modern portfolio theory and and calculating out your Sharpe ratio or your Sortino ratio and figuring out what are those portfolio weights that maximize your risk-adjusted returns. And so the whole idea of of the website in general is to provide people with a way to navigate the asset class that basically kicks the emotion out of it, right? Because, I mean, emotion is is one of those things that it's really hard to, to navigate this thing if you don't have a plan and to just say, you know what? I understand that the asset class goes through these boom and bust cycles. And the whole idea is to accumulate, right? Accumulate crypto when the market is very bearish and the risk is really low, and then to systematically take profits when the market is exuberant, super bullish, and everyone's saying it's going to go to the moon. And, and then to just be patient and then to wait and then reaccumulate again, right? So that, that's the idea of the website. And we have, again, we have hundreds of on-chain charts, hundreds of all all sorts of charts. We're, we're constantly building it out. And, and basically, it's a subscription model. So, so people sign up. Uh, for you know for like a monthly subscription, they can cancel at any time. and, and that's basically what the business is, is based around.
1: So um, d- talked about how these charts are being generated. and Lily, please please jump in here. So are these manually or are these kind of automatically is there any manual curation, I guess is my question.
2: Uh no, so these these charts are updated uh, updated automatically. We, okay. uh, we're not like we're not going in every day and and and, and updating them. I mean, there's a, to, just to give you an idea. I mean, if I just scroll down, I mean, there's just hundreds of charts. And and for each of these charts, by the way, uh, just to give you an example, like if I were to click on let, let's go click on on say the R Hoddle waves, right? Which is this one? I, I love this chart because it, it it's a way to break things up between say the short term holder. And and say like long term holders, but I, I like this chart because you can you can quickly go to a lot of different cryptocurrencies, right? You can look at it for Ethereum or Cardano or Polkadot or Chainlink or Algorand or and so on and so forth. Again, I don't own all these cryptocurrencies, but you know my 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 time is limited to communicate what I want to communicate. I focus mostly on Bitcoin and Ethereum, but perhaps someone else who has access to the website maybe they only care about you know something else, right? That I don't care about, and they can still access it even if I don't talk about it. So no, everything's automatic because we we couldn't possibly go through and manually update these on a day to day basis. It would take too much time.
1: No, it was it was more a matter of the the curation of the charts, which is exactly. So your answer is yes. You've gone through and said these are the best ways to look at the data. Right. There, you're not going to give me a bunch of tools and let me draw pretty swirly charts, you know, and and, and do my own thing. There's plenty of tools that do that.
2: Right, yeah. There's a lot of tools, and we're actually working on on trying to make things like even better by by setting up like alerts and stuff based on if if one chart is sort of signaling something over another chart. It can get somewhat. Um, there's a lot of information, right? As you're, There's a lot of information, so we're working on better better presenting that information uh, through like an alert system or something.
1: Very helpful. So how long how long have you been on the project, and what's the size of your team that that's been building this app?
2: Yeah, so I've been on the project for, so, so the company, I officially started the company the very beginning of 2020, um, but my YouTube channel, I actually started it in the summer of 2019. So uh, I started building it, and you know, at first, I, I didn't really know um, what it would really turn into. I, I was just publishing like one video every two weeks. It it actually took me about six months to get 500 subscribers, and and then I mean the rest is history. Then it took me like another month to get to 10,000, another month to get to 100,000, and then now I, I think I have like 724,000 subscribers on YouTube. Um, and by the way, I mean my you know my my YouTube is not monetized in any way other than just sort of routing people to my website. Uh, which is a—it's a very different business model than than what a lot of people do on YouTube. Um, so yeah, again, started in 2019, officially started the company in 2020, and and so we've been running for for just over two years. We've seen a lot of growth since then, and and of course, it sort of ebbs and flows with the market. Um, but it's been quite the journey.
1: So so real quick, and I want to stay on on this for a minute before we jump into kind of where the market is today. Um, I I did notice you you're doing other things besides just selling graphs and charts. You have some NFT uh, projects that it looks like you're associating with. So so it seems like you have a good embracement of of Web three ecosystem overall.
2: Yeah. So the the NFTs are my own NFTs. I'm not like I, they're they're into the cryptoverse NFTs. We we partner with some artists where where our goal is to you know to provide. More and more utility to the NFTs. Like some of the NFTs, uh, some of the NFTs that we've we've sold actually give you a lifetime subscription to you know to this website, as well as everything else that comes with it. Like I put out even more videos that are are just for the those members, and and there's all sorts of other stuff associated with it. And then some other utility is going to be associated with. Um, getting access to an NFT section, hopefully in the future on the website. Some utility is, is focused on uh, perhaps the metaverse once I feel like it's actually being built. I still feel like we're a little bit too early in some of that stuff because I've, I've sort of explored some of the different um, areas to explore and I haven't really been that impressed. So I, I kind of think we're a little bit too early. But yeah, that, that's one arm of the business. And then another arm is we, I, I run validators on, on some of the different layer ones. And I, I've looked at a lot of the different layer ones, and you know some are worth running validators on, some are not, um, and and that's sort of like the the third area of, of of the company.
1: So you know, looking looking into you know what what you've got here, w- and what's the what's the current monthly fee?
2: The current monthly fee is one twenty nine a month, but it's on sale for six more days for uh, ninety nine a month.
1: Okay, and what's the what's the lifetime NFT?
2: The lifetime NFT. Well, it 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 was auctioned off a long time. There there was a couple that were auctioned off a long time ago. Okay. Um, I don't even remember exactly what it sold for or or what. But it was only it was only for the first person who who got it. It wasn't like transferable or anything. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't even remember
1: what it sold for back then. Listen, we're, we're DGENs and, and every, anything and everything. So we always love to know kind of how... Because to me, the utility is is really where the value is. And so understanding that that exists, you know, there's you already have me saying, well, I want one. Why can I have that one? Yeah. Um, so there, there's quite a bit there. So let, let's take a, a quick pivot and we'll, we'll come back to, to this in a second. But as long as you have it up. So today, um, and, and to be clear, last night, you kind of said like, there's a dump coming. Um, posted on Twitter and, and you know, what, 10 hours later it, it came. So can you talk us through kind of what you saw, uh, you know, how you saw it on these charts and, and how someone could replicate kind of being able to follow along with you?
2: Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I think one of the things with with crypto in general is looking at at, at patterns, right? And, and perhaps I can just pull up TradingView here. And and show you what I'm talking about. So one of the reasons why I, I got really concerned, and I, I was actually at the conference when I, you know, when a lot of this sort of sort of played out. But one of the one of my main concerns right now is that over the last several months, Bitcoin every single pump has has just been sold off, right? I mean, it hasn't led to anything remarkable. Even the new all time high that we put in in November uh, is is sort of like. You know, not really that big of a deal. It's not it, normally when Bitcoin puts in a new all time high, it continues to go up, right? It doesn't just put in a new all time high and then drop another 50%. Um, so, so one of the things that, that I, you know, I've been looking at recently is, is this, the, this 200 day moving average, you know, it's not even that complicated, but just recognizing that, look, this is, this is the same type of issues we had back in 2018. And, and we were unable to get back above that level. So that's sort of what has me on edge a little bit. And and in addition to that, it's also looking. It was looking at like the futures market and, and looking at the fact that you know Bitcoin is very much correlated to to other asset classes like like equities. It, it it is behaving like a tech stock right now, right? It's behaving like tech stock. And and when you see things like the Nasdaq, you know it, it's the same. It's the same chart, right? I mean, you flip between the Nasdaq and Bitcoin, they they look almost identical over the last several months, and. So my 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 main concern in the short term is that you have MicroStrategy and Terra buying hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, but it's not doing anything. Like, it's not changing the price action at all. Bitcoin is still basically behaving like a tech stock at the current time. And it goes through various phases where it's correlated and it's not correlated. And right now, it's very much correlated. You know, one bear market that Bitcoin went through, it was correlated to the, to the S&P. One, it wasn't correlated. And then one, um, there was like a like a negative correlation, actually. So there's not exactly a clear trend over the macro scale when looking at Bitcoin bear markets. But over the last five months, it, it has been very much behaving like a tech stock. And so my main concern in, in, in the short term is just looking at at the overall market. We also know that things like the U.S. dollar currency index are in a very strong uptrend right now. And what do you notice about about these these, these the, the dollar is that when it's in a downtrend, like twenty seventeen and like twenty twenty, that's what corresponds to to Bitcoin bull markets, you know. And in addition, what corresponds to you know to the market being bearish are things like twenty fourteen and 2018 when the dollar's in an uptrend. And now we've been in an uptrend since, really since June or May of 2021. And so until we see some type of, of reversal on, on the U.S. dollar currency index, until we see some type of reversal on, on tech stocks, it, it's hard to be short-term bullish on Bitcoin. I mean, I, I still maintain the macro bullish stance, of course, but I also understand that you know in the short term, we're very much dependent on, on a lot of macroeconomic conditions.
1: So, you know, one of the, and we're watching Bitcoin hitting, hitting their, their resistance level and, and just kind of broke through 40K. And so I don't think the next one, unless you've got a chart that's different than the one I was looking at this morning, is the next big resistance levels can be down about 38. Um, my, my question is, you've, you've you know, kind of said there's nothing that's really paralleling to some years it's this, some years it's that. How much is that related to the oracles just being wrong? Or 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 multi-counting Bitcoin versus wrapped Bitcoin versus a different wrapped Bitcoin versus everything else. Like, do do we feel that the count is even correct?
2: The they count on say so, so that again. Sorry, how, how
1: many bitcoins are in existence and what the price level is based on all the various markets that are out
2: there? Well, I mean, the market is. I mean, if if you're talking about differences between like different exchanges, um, I mean, anything there is arbitraged away immediately in terms of the actual count on Bitcoin. I mean, we know there's only ever going to be 21 million. Uh, in terms of circulating supply, we know that a lot of them are lost, <laughs> um, never to be found again through through private keys that have been thrown out or or just simply lost. I'm not sure. Is that what you're asking?
1: No, but the, the question would be is, and I've, I've talked to to other people that run, you know, the the bridges and and whatnot, and and there's not a, a perfect count of native Bitcoin to wrapped native Bitcoin, there's in, a lot of cases oh. we're seeing, you know, double and triple counting of the asset, which it was my question was, and if that's nothing you've ever explored, then <laughs> there's no real right. answer there. But, you know, right. is that the type of thing that would affect why we can't see the, the proper bull runs despite the the massive investments in the asset class?
2: I don't really think so. I mean, I, I t- the short answer is it's not something I've ever explored, Um, so I, I don't want to, I, sometimes I like, I I don't want to provide an opinion on something necessarily that I I don't feel like I I can provide one that's like well-defined and and well-researched, you know? Uh, but my, my gut reaction sort of just tells me that, you know, one of the things that when I, when I look at, when I look at this asset class is just looking at these long-term trend lines and saying, you know, we're just doing the same thing we've always done. It's not like, you know every there's always a narrative of course right there's always a narrative behind every bull run there's always a narrative behind every every bear market but in reality when you take a step back i mean we're we're just doing the same thing we've always done we went up 20x in in a year you know and i mean i understand that hundreds of millions of dollars have come in recently but you can also go look at the largest bitcoin wallets and see that a lot of them have been selling recently and and some of the ones that that aren't selling they haven't really been accumulating much recently. There's there's a lot of wallets actually that first started accumulating in late 2018. They reaccumulated in the summer of 2021 and they haven't done anything since then. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people are sort of at this, we're, we're sort of at this point where, you know, I mean, we're, we're kind of waiting to see what happens. There's just like this tension in the asset class. Is it going to hold that 30K level? I mean, I think that 30K level is, is a very important level. Um, For a lot of different reasons, it was the summer low. It's, you know, it's sort of the the bottom of our fair value logger than the man. It's also the cost basis of micro strategy. You know, I think their cost basis on other Bitcoin is around 30.8K or so. So I, I think what we're seeing right now, you know, could arguably just be, we're just doing the same thing we've always done. No, it doesn't really necessarily need to be any more complicated than that. With that said, I, I don't really fully know that I have like a, a definitive answer to what you asked. So I'll sort of just say like, that's my gut reaction to, to your gotcha. question, but, but that's my gut reaction to, to most any reason behind what's going on.
3: Can we talk a little bit about the sellers and the buyers and the support levels in this market? Because you mentioned Tara coming in, you mentioned MicroStrategy. Who are the dumping parties? Like I'm, I'm looking at a chart on Glassnode about short-term holders, short-term profit, and it seems like there's a lot of short-term loss that's being recorded and like short-term holder supply is pretty abysmal right now. Um, is there is there any kind of flushing out of like I guess what they would call paper hands? Like how is your perspective on selling and yeah.
2: support? So one of the things to that we can actually look at, actually let me go back to these R Huddle waves and you kind of reference this with yeah. some of the on-chain data. If you go to the long-term holders, what you'll notice is that the percentage of supply held by long-term holders when weighted by, by the, by the, um, uh, the, the realized price, you can see that that tends to go up when the market is bearish and it goes down when the market is bullish, right? You can see back in late 20 or early 2021, long-term holders were selling, you know, they were selling, they didn't, you know, I I don't really know what happened back then. I mean, I, I didn't really follow on chain data as much back then to be completely honest, but you, you can look at this stock, you can look at these charts and say, look, during that phase, during that parabolic run up, long term holders were selling back then. But what you see today is a little different, right? It's a little different in terms of in terms of the and seller's. Sorry, There's but not- just
3: for long and short, do you mean like hundred and fifty five day and above? Like what is the definitions for, for So
2: this so is a there? good question. So here we're we're differentiating it between um, people who ha- have held it for at least six months. Six so, months. Yeah. So so like here here it is for like the HODL waves. Uh oh, which yeah, not, I
1: don't think you're I don't think you're sharing that screen yet.
3: You're still on Trading View. Oh. There you okay. go.
2: Okay. So for instance, here here are like, here are the HODL waves. And and this is HODL Waves for, for long-term holders. So one of the interesting things about this chart is you know you can look at it and see where the long-term investors are coming in. And you can also look at it and see where the short-term investors are coming in. Short-term investors tend to come in at peaks, right? That's where they—that's where you see these things go up. Long-term investors like to come in at bottoms or in bear markets. Not necessarily bottoms because they, they tend to come in before we hit the bottom, but they come in doing bear markets. And these are the people that sort of just scoop it up. So I think your, your assessment is correct. I, I think that what's happening right now is that the the tourists are are kind of leaving or slowly leaving there's a lot of people that are are probably underwater in their investment and they take any pump they any pump that comes they take that as an opportunity to get out and you know i mean if you look at the illiquid supply you can see the illiquid supply is going up as well i think a lot of long term investors are sort of slowly slowly eating up those those bitcoin but the problem is that you know and one of the problems we've seen seen happen before is that you can get capitulation events where it doesn't really make sense for it to happen, um, but you have a lot of leverage traders that are forced sellers. So, like they might not want to sell, but they have yeah. to sell because they, they 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 leveraged out of their ears because they thought you know the price is going to go to a certain level by a certain date, and then it didn't happen, and so then they end up having to you know they, they basically get liquidated and and they become a forced seller. So, I think the people that are selling now. Um, are mostly you have leverage traders that are forced selling. You also have some shorter term traders that sort of just trade the trade the um, the short term moves like off the local low back up to the 200 day moving average. There's probably some people that that are you know that, that that sold there, and then you also do have some whales. I mean, you know, I, I know it's not necessarily a popular popular thing to say, but yes, MicroStrategy is buying. Yes, Terra is buying. There are some larger wallets that are not right there are some larger wallets that have been selling in fact the third largest wallet which is is to an unknown entity depends on how much you can trust on chain data we don't really know if they're selling or not we can see that they sometimes transfer bitcoin out they were accumulating below 40k and then once it got back above 40k they started offloading you know 1500 bitcoin here 1500 bitcoin there so yeah i mean some larger wallets are buying. There still are a lot of sellers. And I do think there, there are a lot of people that are underwater and they're sort of just taking advantage of every pump to, to sort of liquidate. But I do think eventually um, the, the, the supply will be, you, you can see it's, you know, going into the long-term holder's hands. And then it's just a matter of time before we, before the price goes back up. And then the long-term holders take profits to so the short-term holders who buy it. And then the short-term holders get underwater again. And, and we just, ri- you know, we rinse and repeat
3: this this nasty nasty cycle. Hold
1: my bag. Yeah. So we had uh, we we were able to to have sailor on uh, not not too long ago and, and have a nice conversation with him. And I I asked him point blank about the the, the six million per Bitcoin, and in true fashion, got a no, a non answer, um, but a very long explanation around the long term value. What is you know? And again, no financial advice. Nothing here. What is that that kind of upper echelon that that Bitcoin can hit within a, a reasonable amount of time? You know, next, you know, within the next year, based on the fact that we see inflation uh, numbers are you know somewhere between ten and twenty five percent for the U.S. dollar, what are what are some of the metrics we'd have to see hit to to really get that a, a kind of astronomical valuation?
2: So unfortunately, um, a six million dollar Bitcoin. Um, that's not happening anytime soon as far as I can tell. Uh, You know, I I actually put out a video on my channel in 2019 talking about a realistic path to a $1 million Bitcoin. But even that video that I put, this was back when Bitcoin was trading for like $8,000 or something. This was like, you know, before this most recent surge back, you know, to 60K and whatnot. Um, But that prediction back then said we wouldn't even get to a million. Unfortunately, Until, you know, the late 2030s, (laughs) as as, as hard as that might be to believe for some people. Uh, I think what people don't realize is that when the asset class gets this big, it takes just exponentially more capital to move the market cap. You know, it's not not something, this is why people buy altcoins, because the market cap can be moved easier so you can theoretically make more money. You can also lose a lot of money with altcoins too. Um, So, you know, with regards to Bitcoin, one of the things I look at, I look at the fair value. Fit to all data, and I say, is it undervalued or is it overvalued? Right. And I I could look at this and say, well, you know, let's say by the end of 2023, the fair value will be 73K by the end of 2023. That's the fair value. So you're talking about like 20 months from now, the fair value will be around 73K. Now, that doesn't mean the price has to be 73K. You can see we are, we go through periods of undervaluation at times, right? We could be undervalued at the time, but. You know, I, I would say that the the fair value will not even reach 100K until late 2024. Could we hit 100K before 2024? Of course. We, we, we go through periods of undervaluation, overvaluation. But what do you not see on this chart? You don't see a million dollar Bitcoin on this chart, right? It's just, it's, it's so far out in the distance that assuming that that's going to happen in the short term... It, it, it's, it's too optimistic, you know, and I, I say that as someone who has a lot, I have Bitcoin, right? I, I love Bitcoin. I, I think it's the future, but I also think it's important to be realistic and, and not to put out absurd price predictions that are, are, are not going to come true. And, you know, t- t- to Michael Saylor's credit, I mean, like it probably will go to these higher numbers that he's calling for. It's just going to take a lot of time, right? It's just not going to happen, not going to happen next year. And, and also to his credit, I mean, he, he was buying Bitcoin when it was, you know, at, at 10K, and and he's got way more invested than I could even imagine myself. Um, and and I know I know they're up a couple a few billion dollars, I believe. So I mean, congratulations to him and everything he's doing. But I I do think that it's unlikely that Bitcoin's going to be going to several million dollars in the next in the next couple of years. Listen, if,
1: if but, uh, you... the U.S. dollar turns into Zimbabwe money, then then you know, yeah, it, it depends. It, possible... That's what I'm saying. If there's some other metrics that would come into play.
2: I, I was just going to say it, it's possible that that you could be right about that, but. I also, <laughs> I, I also don't necessarily think that the dollar is going to just become worthless in the next year or two. If it does, we're going to have a lot of other problems <laughs> probably to deal with than just the price of Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily follow. I mean, I, I do think that all fiat trends to zero. I mean, I don't think. I know. I mean, that's what it does. I mean, you look at the purchasing power, that is what it does. But I, I still would argue that it's not going to go to several million in the next couple of years.
3: How do you think oh. about, um, like, in terms of network adoption of crypto, right? I think, you know, when, when ARK talks about crypto going to half a, bill, uh, half a million and whatnot, like a lot of that comes from institutional uplift from ETF products and regulatory catch-up and stuff. For regression analysis here, for fair value calculation, is this based on the current market size and participation size? How do you account for the growth of the broader market in general?
2: Yeah, I, I mean I think it's it's already accounted for in there because again, logarithmic aggression it, it assumes diminishing returns, and diminishing returns comes from the fact that you need exponentially more capital. This is one of the things we said before this cycle started was that institutions coming, and by the way, I interviewed Saylor on my channel back in, you know, sometime in 2021. And and the idea behind the model is, you know, and that was that was too, Does it account for all the billionaires that are gonna come in and buy Bitcoin? Does it account for all the institutions? And my argument is that it, it does because it, it assumes for the for the asset class, for the price of Bitcoin and the fair value to continue to go up, we need exponentially more volume. So it assumes that the institutions are going to come in, right? It assumes that we're going to get past these regulatory hurdles and that a spot ETF might be approved so that then people can come buy Bitcoin on behalf of their clients. Like It assumes all that. If that stuff doesn't happen then the model might fail, you know? I mean, if, if the institutions can't come in for regulatory reasons or if, if something like that happens, you need that money to come in to offset just, like, say, the, the selling pressure that, that is going to naturally be there from people that have to occasionally cash out or maybe they want to do something else with their Bitcoin. I mean, look, there's, there's us who maybe are, are, are very, very bullish on Bitcoin and believe in it. There's a lot of people out there that, that just trade it because it's volatile and not because of any other reason other than that. Um, so yeah, I, I do think it accounts for all of that, and and you know despite the fact that we have had billions of dollars pour into Bitcoin over the last you know over the last um, or at least from these you know from these some of these larger institutions, we're still trading for around forty thousand dollars, right? It hasn't it hasn't actually changed anything. So I think what we really need we just need time. You know we need time to to, to ultimately see these things go up, and I, I do think it incorporates um, it, it already incorporates a lot of these. Larger, larger mm. things coming on
3: Interesting. And then, can we rewind back to what you mentioned about leverage and people in the in the system getting levered? Um, what are you seeing there? Like, because if you look at the futures perpetual, um, the perps, right, the funding rates, right. it's like mildly positive. It's not great. It's not showing like exuberance mania, um, but it's like very tempered. How how are you thinking about leverage in the system and what that indicates. Cause usually it's just like kind of meh when people are not going hard either way. Right. And then to dovetail that question, like from your experience, what do you see are common kind of TA indicators that people look at for inflection points? And then what do you actually like as uh, indicators that you think are pretty effective?
2: It's a good question. Um, so I, I will say I'm, I'm not I'm not like the leading expert on on options and futures. But one of the things I think to consider is that you know it, it certainly is healthier when people are not extremely overlevered. Uh, this chart here shows the open interest of of crypto futures. This is for Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and and it shows a lot of different exchanges. And you'll notice that it, at both peaks. We we saw it go up a lot, right? We saw the open interest on Bitcoin futures go up. But one of the one of the caveats with a chart like this is that it's highly correlated to the price, right? I mean it, it's highly correlated to the price. Like if I have one Bitcoin and I wanna and I wanna, you know, lever it, I mean if it's at 30K or 40K, I might I might still lever that one Bitcoin, you know? So one of the things we can do is we can switch this this over to the native currency of Bitcoin and kind of see where that is you know, rather than measuring it in U.S. dollars. And you can see we're actually moving up somewhat right now. So, I mean, there, there is a lot of open interest on, on these futures right now. Um, I also have it on, on um, crypto options as well. And we can also flip that over uh, to Bitcoin. But one of the, you know, basically, I think the, the the point is, and I think what you're getting at in terms of the perps as well, is what we've seen a lot of times when you see the price going up and, and the the open interest going up, um, it, it tends to only be a matter of time before that gets wiped out. But the reverse is also true, right? When we're going down, and and you also see the same thing play out. It, it's only it tends to be a matter of time before we go back up. Right now, yeah. I, I right now I, I think that it, it's just a choppy market, and 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 people are playing both ends of the of the of the spectrum. There, whenever we get to a resistance level, they short. Whenever we get to a um, uh, you know, to a support level, maybe they they go long or they exercise some type of, of contract in the future. Um, but I, I don't really see anything in the short term changing with regards to this choppy market. I, I think we're at least in for for several more months of, of very similar um, market conditions. In, in terms of inflection points. Right, are these um,
3: notional contracts, the one you're showing, the open futures that you just showed?
2: Um sorry, I clicked off. They were
3: like number oh no it's okay, like the the number they're like the number of contracts, right?
2: Or or Um, the number of
3: contracts multiplied by the the open interest in
2: USD. This is the open interest in USD. Okay. Got it. Um I I think you know one of the one of my favorite charts in terms of looking at like inflection points is is something like this. Okay, this is the risk level for Bitcoin. And one of the things that I, I think about is an inflection point usually means we have to go down to a relatively low risk level where basically a lot of people are wiped out. Now, what you'll notice when you look at this chart... And actually, you know, Wait, sorry,
3: how are you determining the risk level? Is this like greed and fear? Is this MACD? No, like, it's what my is own formula
2: actual? that accounts okay. for diminishing returns? It's basically just a, a function of like the price, the time, and, and it accounts for diminishing returns as a function of time. It does not account for the fear and greed index. We actually do have the fear and greed index on here, okay. uh, which actually uh, just a, as a brief segue, one of the better ways I think to, to view the fear and greed, one of the things you'll notice is that like it can constantly say 20 for like months and months and months. Um, yeah. but what you can do is you can take a, a moving average of it and it tells you a slightly different story, right? So like, here's like the 90 day SMA of the fear and greed index. And, and it shows you like, if we're just chilling at these levels up here, it might be time to get out. Whereas when we're all, all the way down here, it tends to be a, a better time to buy. Right. And that's something that people don't always understand is that like, you know, if the market is bearish, that tends to be when you want to buy, not when it's bullish, right? When it's bullish, that's when you start, want to start thinking about selling um, at least once it gets exceptionally bullish. So, like one of the things I like to say is like bull markets can make you money, bear markets can make you rich, right? If you can just stick around and come up with some type of like DCA plan in a bear market, then you can reap the rewards later on, you know. So, but going back to the to this risk level, you know, the idea is that. We, we have to we have to basically cool down for a while before we can sustain a, a push higher and if we take the color out of this and just plot it on the secondary y-axis this is what it looks like okay and so after going to the highest wristband right the point nine to one wristband it's happened a number of times four you know four times and so I mean this was the point eight but you know point eight to, to one um, so this time it went all the way back down In 2013, we bottomed at 0.3 risk before ultimately going back up, okay? Every other time, it's gone all the way back down. And you can see over here, we also bottomed at around, uh, if I I just sort of zoom in, you can see we bottomed at 0.3 risk as well. So I, I look at this like there is a chance that we do not have to have a capitulation, right? There is a chance we do not have to have one. Um, 2013 is a great example of if you had operated deterministically and assumed we had to have had a capitulation after the first peak you would have missed out on on the you know the mania phase that the second peak brought but we also can see that it you know it could happen right I mean it would be foolish to say say that it can't happen So I think what you have to do is you have to come up with a strategy to navigate the asset class no matter what happens meaning being somewhat diversified across, Maybe you have your crypto, you have your Bitcoin, you have your ETH, but maybe you also have some stable coins on hand earning interest somewhere so that if the market does dump, you can come in and continue continue can to buy. I, I mean for full disclosure, okay. like I have Bitcoin, I, I I'm I'm still buying Bitcoin. Um, but I also I also think the next several months are 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 going to be fairly um, volatile. You know, I don't I don't think we're yeah. we're about to go put in a new all time high. I, I think it'll come, but I, I don't think it's gonna be in the next few months.
3: Can I ask a question? Um Just uh, kind of your thought about um, how to think about the weightings of these indicators. Um, Like in the first one you showed, it was the log regression underperformance one, the fair value one, right? And it showed that we're 19% above fair value right now. So that seems to be like, you know, there might still be room for some bump down. And then the last one you showed, it seems like BTC risk is getting pretty low, which should indicate a buy, um, like a signal, right? So like, how do you weigh those two signals and how do you think about action points?
2: It's a good question, yeah. So for me, what I do, um, generally speaking, is I buy Bitcoin when it's below the 0.5 risk level. So if it's below 0.5, I I buy it weekly. Um, However, the the, the trick, or maybe it's not the trick, but my strategy is, I weight my buys differently. So when we're between 0.4 to 0.5 risk, I might buy like X Bitcoin. When we're between 0.3 and 0.4, I would buy 2X. When we're between 0.2 and 0.3, I buy 3X. And the reason I do that is because I want to get my cost basis down as low as possible. But in the same manner, that I DCA in, I call it dynamic DCA, right? Because you do it dynamically as it goes down. You and, and if the yeah. idea is that if we go all the way down to the lowest risk level, that's when you really push in heavy on whatever stable coins you have remaining. Yeah. But in the same manner, as we go up, between the point five to point six risk band, I sell Y Bitcoin between point six to point seven, two Y, point seven to point eight, three Y. So basically I I figure out whenever we go above point five risk, I I I just say, all right, I have you know, a certain amount of Bitcoin, I, I divide it up into 15ths and I sell one 15th in the first wristband, two 15ths in the second, three 15ths in the third. And then so that means in the final two wristbands, I'm selling two thirds of, of my Bitcoin at those highest risk levels. So that's, that's the way long? I currently Sorry. do That's the way I do it. Um, so it, I, I, I do buy some Bitcoin at these at these higher risk levels, like at 0.4 to 0.5. But I don't buy nearly as much as I would in say like the current risk band, which I'm buying more. And if we were to go even lower, then I I would I would buy even more.
3: Gotcha. Can we um, nerd out a little bit on your risk units? Like how are you? How are these risk units defined? Um, Is it like relative to fair value? Is it like like how are you defining risk units?
2: Yeah, so here it actually has no relation to the fair value. Um, one of the goals was to try to make various indicators that are not highly dependent on one another because if all of them are are dependent on the same thing, then you're yes. basically just modeling the same thing in, in different yeah. ways. Um, so, yeah, this is all it is. I mean, simply put, all it is, it's looking at prior performance, assuming that whatever Bitcoin does in the future will be a diminished form of what it's done in the past. And... And I'm just sort of dubiously extrapolating out the that function of diminishing returns as a function of time. So it's not really anything more complicated than that. It has nothing to do with the fair value. Um, it has nothing to do with any of that stuff. You could come up with a similar type metric. And that's actually something we're working on right now Is 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 coming up with not only this risk metric, which is sort of the main one that I use. But the goal is to come up with multiple risk metrics. And I, I, let me give you an example of, of of what I would consider. I don't know that I want to call it a failure, right? But it's something that I've learned, okay? Maybe it's a failure, right? Hey, lessons, lessons and <laughs> learnings are, are walking yeah. around here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, this worked out really well during during late 2020 and early 2021. Like, you can see how how well, like, this strategy, this strategy worked out. And, and I took a lot of profits back in early 2021. And then I reinvested a lot of that back in the summer of 2021. But one of the, one of the things that, that uh, kind of hit hard is look what happened. I mean, we went back up, but the risk level only went to 0.56, 0.55. I, I believe it, it, it peaked here at around 0.567, right? You can see that was the highest. It, I mean, it, it went slightly higher because that's according to a, a closing price of 66K, we know we went to 69k, so it, it probably went to say 0.58 risk or something like that. But what that means is that I didn't take very much profits at all at this second during that second move, you know. And I think one of the one of the things, and you can also see there was a similar move in 2019, right, where it only went up uh, up through some of the risk bands, right? So. That's the reason why I say dynamically DCA. That way, if it if it only goes into one or two of the wristbands, at least you're getting something out. Right. If you, if you only wait for the higher ones, there could be these little, these little bunny hills here that go up, but they don't actually take you to the higher ones. I think what I what I what I'm working on right what, what I'm working on right now, I think what I need what, what I need to do and what, what we've been working on. Is is looking at a lot more indicators, and and some of those indicators are social metrics, and I, I think this is something that was missing. For instance, if you go to say new comments on Reddit, right? If you go to new Reddit comments, I mean, these are silly things, right?
1: No, but no, you- I I completely agree. I I spend way too much time on Lunar Crush, and and I absolutely get it, but you right. Know. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I think it's somewhat important is because, and I even, I even, I knew this was happening back in in October, November. I, I said it all the time on the website. I was like, "Look, guys, the money that's pushing Bitcoin higher, it's not new money. It, 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 it's just us. Like, it's not new retail investors. You can see that retail sentiment was dying off, even when the price was going up. Right, the price is going up. Retail engagement was was decreasing." Yeah, amongst a lot of different places. So what what I'm working on now is is trying to figure out, you know, obviously there's going to be times where where well, hopefully, right, where Bitcoin goes parabolic and and you can you can basically take advantage of of these these major parabolic mania phases where you can systematically DCA out. But can there be other metrics like in 2019 and let's say late 2021 that despite the fact that the risk level did not go that high, perhaps there would have been some other indicators that could have been a bit more helpful in, in showing, you know, hey, yeah, the price is going up, but the, the sentiment just isn't there right now. And so what I, what, and, and so I, you know, if you want to, if we want to think about it like a failure of the risk metric, that's fine. What I'm trying to do is to try to create some type of a larger dashboard where we have a risk metric For every indicator, if that makes sense. So basically, you know, you, you go down to say, um, let's say you want to, you want to have a risk metric on, on the, the R hodl waves, right? Or actually, here's a good one, the R hodl ratio. And, and you want to say, okay, I, I just want to know what the risk is based on historical performance. And you, you aggregate the risk amongst say a hundred different charts, you know, or more. And and then you 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 try to look for some confluence among different indicators to try to figure out, hey, can I get any alpha out of looking at everything as a whole rather than just looking at at, a one single chart? So that's what I'm currently working on to try to navigate things a little bit better in the future.
1: So one of the things, Ben, that I think is massively important is market cap, and and most of Reddit has no idea of the concept when they're when they're. You know, calling for, for certain numbers. They just want to see something continue to go to moon. How, how, uh, how on here are you representing, you know, market cap and able to compare it to, to, you know, real world metrics for people to understand, you know, for Dogecoin to, to hit a dollar or for, uh, you know, Shibu to, to hit, you know, three cents. Like what a massive market cap that would be.
2: Yeah, I don't actually have anything on the website where I that might might not be a bad idea, actually. But I, <laughs> I don't actually have anything on the website to try to show people how ridiculous some price predictions are. I will occasionally make videos where I say, like, look, I, I know you guys want to see Doge go to two dollars, but I mean like it's just not gonna happen, you know, at least not in the foreseeable future. And a lot of times the mark the, the, the price predictions of a lot of altcoins, I tell people, look. That theoretically could be supported, but only if Bitcoin is at like a market cap like five times larger than it currently is, you know? Because a lot of people put out price predictions for altcoins that are like 10 times the market capitalization of Bitcoin. And if history is any indication, I mean, Bitcoin's been number one, you know, forever. I mean, since since the asset class was invented, I mean, it's never relinquished that number one status, you know? Or
1: or even close to it.
2: Right. So there's no reason to think that. Um, well, actually, in, 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 2017, Ethereum did come close within a few percent of, of flipping it. Actually, when the, when the Ether Bitcoin ratio went to about 0.15, it, it came to within like a few percent of flipping it. Um, it didn't, <laughs> um, but it, it, did come close. Um, so one thing though that, that, that is somewhat useful, I guess, is, is looking at this chart. This is called my. I like this chart. It's called the doesn't bleed chart. And so, what you can do is you can go in and, and look at some projects and and say, do they bleed against Ethereum? And a lot of coins do bleed against Ethereum. You know, you can and it basically it allows you to just quickly go in and say, you know what, you know, Litecoin is one of those relic coins from a from a while back that that some people have in their portfolio. And I always ask why, you know, why like all it ever does is go down against ETH. Like, look at—I mean, on every time frame, it's down against Ethereum. Some of these things just go down. You can flip this to Bitcoin as well and say, look, some of these coins that you guys have crazy predictions for, they tend to go down against the blue chips over the macro scale. Yes, in the short term, they can outperform. Yes, some of them will still market share because they—they'll have—you know—they'll just be really good projects. But ninety-nine point nine percent of them, while they might go up in the short term. And you might believe in this crazy price prediction. They will eventually bleed against Bitcoin and or, and or Ethereum. So this is probably one of the charts that you can look at um, to, to, try, to I, try to identify that. But I, I don't have anything that really necessarily shows um, how, how insane some price predictions are.
3: What are some common mistakes that you see? Like you know, people that get into the space and start wanting to do TA, like what are some of the in, well, what are some of the indicators you think are the least useful, um, just total waste of time? What are some of I mean, the mistakes that you see?
2: A lot of traditional TA, I think, is completely useless. Like head and shoulders, inverse head and shoulders. Um, you know, randomly drawing lines on a chart and assuming they hold. Obviously, in bear markets, support lines can become memes um because they just keep getting broken you know so it's like everyone likes to call the bottom based on some based on some line but the reality is that it's too hard to predict like drawing a line on a chart isn't gonna isn't necessarily gonna save you if if the stock market dumps you know like it's just gonna take (laughs) out that low um so I, i would say that most traditional ta in my opinion is not useful um, but I, I should say I should caveat that with with also saying it, it might just not be useful to me. Uh, it doesn't mean that other people haven't figured out ways to make it useful. I, I'm sure there are people out there that are successful doing that kind of stuff um, because there's always people that are you know developing trading bots and, and doing that kind of stuff. But I feel like for most people it, it's not really a, a tenable path to go down. And that if you do try to trade those shorter term moves, you're likely just going to lose money. And you're going to have a, a crazy tax bill, you know, at the end of the year. Um, <laughs> so I would say momentum is is a great thing to use. is It's one of the few things that I, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, and and also just looking at at the macro charts and and recognizing that, look, I mean, you know, even if you even if you go look at at some of the stuff like the the return on investment of Bitcoin, and 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 realizing that you know sometimes you just need to be patient, right? You just need to be patient and These things are what, these things are what speak to me, right? Like, looking at things like, you know, like the four year ROI and seeing that the lowest it's ever been is around two, two and a half X. Um, Even looking at, say, the three year ROI and realizing that you'd be, you know, the worst case scenario historically is that you're breaking even or, or maybe slightly worse, even over three years, but it tends to be much higher than break even. So, I think that the common mistake that people have is they come in and they assume that they can apply these indicators and and that they're going to work out and the reason they do that is because in a bull market, they often do work out, and the reason they work out is because we all have a bias in us right we all want we always want Bitcoin to go up right we always want it to go <laughs> up so as long as your t a ends with and then it goes up you're going to keep believing that you're just some you know savant at technical analysis. And and that every pattern is going to work, but in reality, it's just momentum is taking the asset class higher. Those same patterns that you may be relied on once upon a time, a lot of times they don't just they just don't work in in, in bear markets as much. And I, look, I know there's a lot of people out there that are going to wholeheartedly disagree with me on this stuff, and that's why <laughs> I do want to I, I want to remind people that I should rem, I'm, I should remind you, it's not that there's no value; it's that, that I can't personally derive the value from it. Um, so I don't focus on it. There are people I'm sure that that can derive value from those things.
1: Ben, do you do you believe in short and long term that a that a human human trader, you know, individual trader sitting behind their desktop can, can be competitive with the AI, uh, you know, that that's moving into the space?
3: That's very pointed, Jay. <laughs> I don't.
2: Well, I mean, look, I. There's always going to be some people out there that I'm sure can, because if you take a large enough group of people, there's got to be someone that occasionally gets things right more than wrong. Um, But I, as someone who's, who's looked into that myself, as someone who, who sits in the, I mean, you, you've seen my channel, you, you know how, how much I I study these things. Yeah. As someone who studies it all the time, I can assure you that I would lose money if I tried day trading. I, I would. Um, and and that doesn't mean that there's people out there that aren't better at me at it, but I, I think that most people would honestly be be better served not worrying about the day to day stuff because I think most people that try it out ultimately, you know, they just get wrecked. And by the way, a lot of the bots that you I, I have tried out some of the bots just out of my own personal interest, um, they do they do somewhat well in bull markets because they're just riding momentum and they swing trade between various coins based on momentum. And in a bull market, like everything just keeps going up. Also just holding those cryptocurrencies, you would would have done well as well if you just be patient. But in a in a choppy market like we're currently in, or in a bear market, those strategies often do not work out and, and they often bleed. And a lot of the a lot of the algorithms that I, I looked into um, that I that I personally tested out, a lot of them did not even keep up with Bitcoin in a choppy market. So um, I, I do think that we have a bias to believe we're really good in a bull market. And then bear markets have a way of, of reminding us just how, how brutal the market can be. But uh, bear markets also have a way of teaching us better practices to, you know, to do. Um, and then we kind of forget those when the bull market comes back.
3: Is there a way we can take a step back and talk about macro in the meat space sense? Kind of um, what's going on with the Fed, what's happening to tech stocks? We touched upon that because per your point, right, correlations are very high. Um, like whether or not it's 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 gone from bird or sh or whatever it is, like macro indicators outside of crypto that you think could have real impact.
2: Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting because there's so many different ways you can look at it. One of the things you'll notice is that when the Fed hikes historically, look at what happened in 2017, actually. Bitcoin put in a peak during a rate hiking cycle. I mean, it was in the middle of one, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't before one started. It wasn't after one finished. It was actually in the middle of one. Bitcoin went on to put in to put in a macro peak. I think part of the issue is what is the Fed going to do? Right, they say don't fight the Fed. Are they going to give us a soft landing, or are they going to overcompensate and and potentially lead us into a a recession? When I mean, we saw the yield curves invert recently, and a lot of times that tends to signify that over the next you know. I don't know exactly twelve months, eighteen months, or something. That there's a good chance we're going to see a recession if history is any indication. I think there's a lot of pressure on the Fed right now. What are they going to do? I mean, they, but they're also they don't really have a good option, right? I mean, do they do they raise interest rates into a slowing economy and and continue to spook investors and 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 you know potentially cause the the market to remain weak, or do they do they pivot and you know go back into to QE? which while it might make all of us happy in the short term, if all of our assets are going back up, it's not going to help the inflation issue at all. Um, you know, one of the one of the interesting things about stocks is that they have gone up in price, but if you divide the, the, the S&P by say something like the money supply or something, they haven't done anything in a long time. I mean, you, you could argue that they haven't really increased in value that much. It's just there's a lot more money out there and so they, you know, but the the value of the actual U.S. dollar has gone down a lot. So I, I think that f- from a macro perspective, um, the the Fed is in a is in a very tough spot. And and you know, similar to to prior, I mean, there was also the, the the taper tantrum of 2013 where everyone freaked out when they were gonna when they were basically all of a sudden going to to start tapering. Now they've been advertising it. Constantly for for months and months and months because I think they wanted to avoid you know any types of of surprises. My thinking is that um, because of of the fact that we are you know we are seeing some slowdown among a number of different places and and because the Fed is is somewhat hawkish, I'm I'm just not expecting I'm not expecting the the crypto asset class to immediately skyrocket right. I'm just not I. Again, I, I think it's it's on the path to to going much higher, but in the short term, we need to consolidate a bit longer. And in terms of equities, in terms of tech stocks, again, when 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 you see things like the DXY, when when DXY is is going up as quickly as we are right now, when the angle of attack, right, when it, when the slope is like this, yeah. we're risk off, right? We're just risk off, and and we've we've been risk off since November, uh, really, and, and so. As much as we like to believe that Bitcoin is a risk-off asset, it's not. It's a risk-on asset. You know, I know everyone likes to think that it's a risk-off asset, but it's also funny because, you know, precious metal, like gold is is a risk-off asset. But gold hasn't done anything in 10 years. So I don't even know that I want Bitcoin to be a risk-off asset if it means it's not going to do anything for, you know, 10, 20 years at a time. So Bitcoin and crypto, they are risk on assets right now, you know, with how hawkish the Fed has been, obviously, we're in, in at least a somewhat risk off environment. And so that's why I think, you know, for you know, a few more months, we have a bit more chop to get through. But, you know, we will ultimately, we will ultimately prevail and, and head to, to six figures in the next in the next uh, probably couple of years, if I had to guess.
1: That's awesome. <clears throat> so you know, Ben, this is uh, what, what are you seeing in the asset class? It can be a coin, it can be a project, it can be you know really anything that, that's kind of had your interest. I'm sure you're exposed to to so many things on a daily basis.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I don't really. So, so I, I do make a habit of not talking about micro caps. <laughs> um, on my channel in general. So I will stick to that. I'm not gonna. Oh, I
1: was gonna say, this is not your channel. <laughs>
2: I know, but I, I don't wanna give anyone <laughs> reason to, um, you know, just from like, I, I, part of the issue is that there, you know, we don't really know what the SEC is gonna do with relation to regulation and are these securities, are they not? Um, you know, what uh, needs to be disclosed, what does not need to be disclosed? Look, I, I think some of the, the the things in crypto that you should be focused on in general. Obviously layer ones are are a big deal, right? Obviously, layer ones. You clearly have Ethereum, which is the the blue chip of layer ones. There's also a lot of other layer ones that I, I I think are 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 useful in their own right. And you have to remember when you're when you're picking a layer one, you know, you have to you have to remember that it's a compromise between between decentralization, security, and scalability. And there's not a right answer, right? It's just what do you think is the most important? I tend to value decentralization over a lot of other things, but there are people that don't. I mean, like, look at what happened to the Binance Smart Chain. And, <laughs> I mean, it, it's one of the most centralized chains, but it's number three, <laughs> you know? I mean, it, uh-huh. like, it. it, it so... Just you know what I value isn't necessarily what other people value. I will say layer ones in general are are where most of my money is, other than Bitcoin, um, other than I mean, other than just having the blue chips of Bitcoin and ETH. In terms of altcoins, most of my money is in um, layer ones. Beyond that, I I do think some of the interesting, some of the most interesting things that are going to be coming up over the next few years. Are are going to be crypto and how it relates to the gaming industry, uh, like you know maybe things like like play to earn that kind of stuff. Yep. But I think one of the problems right now with with the the play to earn stuff is that we have a lot of crypto people. I've said this a few times. We have crypto people making games rather than gaming people using you know integrating crypto into their games. Yep. You know, so it, it's like people are are, are trying to incorporate crypto into something that they're not an expert at. And I have looked at a lot of the games. I'm not saying that none of them are fun, but a lot of them are, are they're just boring. <laughs> you know, like they're not, oh, they're not, well, you,
1: you can call it Axie infinity right here. I, it's, <laughs> I have no idea how anyone plays that for more than like 18 well, yeah, seconds.
2: I, I mean, look, and I, I walked through Decentraland for an hour and I'm just like, there's just <laughs> nothing to do here. You know, like there's just nothing to do. Um, so I look at that stuff and I say, we're just, we're just a little early. We're, we're a little early, but I, I think over the next, you know, over the next couple of years, there's going to be some really good investment opportunities in some of these, in some of these gaming platforms. But I think what you need to look for, you need to look for gaming people incorporating crypto rather than crypto people trying to become experts on, on how to make a good yeah. game. Um, we just had a so- call
3: about that this morning, actually. Anyways. Totally random. That's a whole right. other podcast. Sorry. And
2: then, um, and then DeFi. You know, DeFi in general, I, I think is is a big area. And, and look, one of the things with DeFi, DeFi has been in a bear market. A lot of DeFi has been in a bear market for a long time. Some of the DeFi projects haven't done anything in you know since the summer of 2020. <laughs> Not at least with respect to Ethereum. A lot of like, if you look at Ave, you know, the valuation of Ave against Ethereum it's down like 90 percent. Look at the value of Chainlink against Ethereum since since uh, summer of 2020. It's down 90 percent too. So you know, so I, are I you an ETH
3: maxi?
2: I'm not an I'm not an ETH maxi. <laughs> but what I what I would say I I am is I I I. I look at risk-adjusted returns, right? Ethereum is less risky than some of these other cro- projects. And if all these projects are going to do is bleed against Ethereum, you need to you need to understand, like, why are you taking on more risk or more risk for less reward? I say that I have a big position in in Chainlink, right? I do, because I, I think Chainlink is a good project. With that said, it, it hasn't stopped it from getting wrecked <laughs> for the last 18 months against Ethereum, <laughs> you know? But one thing to consider... If history is any indication, is that, and again, like I I say this as someone who has been bullish on Chainlink for a long time, and I've just watched it go down 90% against Ethereum. You know, the the time that Chainlink did the best was during the last bear market. So if if the market remains bearish, maybe that'll be, maybe that'll be Link's time to shine again. Maybe that'll be when DeFi explodes. Remember, DeFi exploded before Bitcoin did. You know, yep. it did it in the summer of 2020. It did it before Bitcoin. So crypto is cyclical, right? It's cyclical. You, you, you it, For a while, it's DeFi. And then in 2021, it was layer ones, right? But in late 2020, it was Bitcoin. So it's cyclical. There's like a money ball and it goes around from one thing to another. So I think it's only a matter of time before it does come back um, to some, uh, you know, and, and that's not to say all DeFi projects didn't do well. I do think it's only a matter of time before we come back and we see some of the DeFi projects um, go up again. But, you know, do they have to, I mean, they're already down 90% against ETH. I don't know. Do they have to go down 95% before they recover or 92% <laughs> or are they already bottomed? I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I do think a lot of them will will eventually recover. Um, but one thing to remember is that a lot of altcoins, um, especially as you go down the list, a lot of them never make new all-time highs in future bull markets. So you need to focus on the blue chips, and the ones you have the most conviction in. If you look at a historical snapshot of the top 10 5 years ago, there's a good chance that new new investors don't recognize half of them. Okay? So, you need to you need to remember that.
1: So, so you've hit on every every single thing. I'm going to ask you one more question before we close. What what's your thoughts on DAOs?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I don't really I I'm I'm trying to like phrase it <laughs> <I> and <mean, laughs>
1: Yeah.
2: I, I I do think I do think they are 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 a good thing. I'm not. I I don't think they're they're bad or anything. Um, but I'm not I'm not currently that interested. I guess I should say
1: it, it's um, very early for the technology.
2: Exactly. It, it, it's like it, to me, it, it's like the it's like the metaverse play. It's like the the, the play to earn gaming stuff. I think it's good, but I also feel like people are are trying to front run it a little bit before it's really time to shine. Like I do think we're going to get there. Like a lot of these things, I think we're going to get there. But one of the one of the bad things about bull markets is that it it makes it so that people don't innovate. They 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 chase trends. Bear markets is where innovation occurs. That's where people have to yeah. innovate. Because if they don't innovate, they're they're not going to they're not going to see any cap that people aren't going to invest. In a bull market, you just trade, you chase whatever the most recent trend is, and and people just copy each other, right? They just copy each thing. So yeah, like you said, I I do think um it, it's just a bit early. I think a lot of this a bit early, but also it, it makes me really excited for for the next bull market because I think over the next three to six months there's going to be a lot of good investment opportunities. And it's the people that stick around, right? If, if, if you can just, I, this is what I beg people to do. I'm like, just stick around, right? <laughs> even if you don't follow me, even if you think I'm full of it and, and you don't agree with anything I say, just stick around. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with what will eventually occur. If you get, even if you have to take a break from crypto for, you know, two or three months, just remember that we go through boom and bust cycles and, um, and that, uh, it, it's just the it's just the cyclical nature of crypto, and I, I'm really excited for what the next um, you know what the next bull market uh, has to offer.
3: To your point, if you dynamic DCA and bear markets plus smart angel invest in new protocols in a bull run, you'll do really well. I think right. you like.
2: Uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's like when when and some people say, "Well, you know, Ben Ben is bearish or something." I'm like, "Yeah, but." I like being bearish because that's when I like to buy, you know, like that you buy when the market is bearish. I mean, we don't know where the bottom is, right? The bottom could be already be in for all we know, or the bottom could be at 25 K. No one knows, you know, no one knows. But the point is, is if you just keep your head low, you come up with a plan, you you DCA for, you know, six to 12 months or something, or maybe longer, right? 18 months or something like eventually you should be rewarded. It's just, Try to try to not get so focused on, on the, on the day to day. It's funny too, because one of the things I like to say is that, um, you know, today's or like when the market's going up or down, it's like today's FOMO price was yesterday's FUD price or, or something like that. You know, like we're at 39 K today, we're at 40 K right now, right? Four weeks ago, 40 K would have been like FOMO today. Everyone's super fearful. Uh, so it's all—it's all relative. It's just all relative how how people's moods are.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I when when Bitcoin's at sixty k, I my phone is ringing off the hook. Emails are coming in. How do I get buy more Bitcoin? Da, 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 da. And I'm like, I, I'm really not that interested in, in sixty thousand dollar Bitcoin today. And then you know, Bitcoin down at thirty thousand. You know, I'm like, hey, you guys really should look at going in. Well, isn't it going down? Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> that's
2: that's when you buy. Like you buy when it's. When it's scarce. And, that's, and, and you can see the people that have the conviction, the long term people, they're yeah. the ones that are accumulating. Like, those are the people that are accumulating. They also don't care if it goes down. They, I yeah. mean, if it drops another 40%, they don't care. They just keep buying. That's where we are right now.
1: It absolutely is. Um, Lily, thank you so much for your time today, as always. Um, ben, it really fabulous. Absolutely yes, love meeting nice. you and, and seeing the platform. I'm absolutely going to be checking it out here. And Why Whalers, uh, you, you can bet are going to be playing around on this platform as well. So um, to everyone watching, uh, that's Ben and, and Lily. Thank you guys so much. And we'll catch you guys next time.
0: Y Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com.